Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. The Game Table! Welcome back. It has been a while. This is The Game Table. I'm Seamus Byrne. You might not even remember this show. It's been months. Uh, I did a whole bunch of interviews on the game table last year. And my first two guests for 2020 have both appeared on the show in the past. So that technically means they are now friends of the show. Um, capital F, uh, capital S of the, yeah, you never capitalize the of and the, the. Um, Nathan Cox, Luke Lancaster. Hi. Thank you Hello. both for joining. A pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for having us. So for this year, I'm sort of changing up the format a little bit. I'm going to do a lot more of this weekly catch up and hopefully the likes of Nathan and Luke can be regulars from time to time whenever they happen to feel like stopping by. Uh, But it is about just having good chats about all the things that we play on our tabletops, all its forms, cards, role-playing games, board games. Now and then there are screens involved. I, I kind of hazard to use that phrase. We like all the games we play that don't have screens. Some of these games. You can't have, say that anymore. <laughs> exactly. They've gotten very, very clever at integrating some of this stuff. Um, but yes, thank you both so much for stopping by. I might actually just open up by asking you both, Nate, start with you. Have you played anything fun lately? Um, yeah, I've been pl- What have I been playing recently? I've been doing, as per is my want, I've been playing a lot of solo games and I have (laughs) been spending a lot of time and I have just completely blanked on what I've been playing. That is crazy. Go to Luke and I'll get back to you. My (laughs) brain is just emptied. Yeah, it must have been really, really good. Oh, I remember now. (laughs) No, it actually was. um, I've been playing a solo game called Renegade, which was uh, made by a um, guy who's actually a YouTuber uh, called Ricky Royale, who um, his actual name is Richard Wilkins, which is really weird for Australians. (laughs) Um, But he's he's best known, I think, amongst particularly solo board game players. He did an amazing solo walkthrough of Mage Knight, and it's kind of like the video that when people go, I just got Mage Knight. Oh, my God, this thing's so scary. What do I? How do I learn it? And everybody's like, well, watch him. Um, and anyway, he made this um, wonderful little board game called Renegade where you try hacking a computer server and it's up to a four to five player, four player co-op, but it's actually a really, really, really good solo game. Um, so I've been playing that recently. It's a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. I think I saw some photos of that up on Twitter. Did you post Yeah, in to make sure I don't feel so incredibly desperately lonely when I play board games, I like to take photos of what I'm playing. And it's, and it's like all of Twitter's playing with me. Yes, that's right. It's a, the whole world is right there with you. Exactly. Luke, what have you been playing? Uh, I think the most recent new game I picked up, uh, I played through Aeons and Legacy with a couple of friends, uh, which was a lot of fun. So it's a legacy game. Uh, based on another card game called Aeon's End that's uh, very much a cooperative. You're all these mages, uh, like, learning spells, and there's some crap plot about, like, a <laughs> void monster. The, the plot was irrelevant, but um, it was a really cool uh, deck builder. Um, so the card pool changed in between rounds based on stuff that we could kind of draft 
as a group and you got different abilities for your character and we wound up finding like really janky cooperative combos together um and we completely randomized most of what we had to decide so it was it was quite a bit of fun playing through that uh it was eight rounds to get through the whole thing and we played through it in two sittings so we didn't really pace ourselves on that one. <laughs> Sorry, what was that I've called again? I've been so keen to check that out. Uh, it's called Aeon's End Legacy. Aeon's End Legacy. That, yeah, that sounds really fun. Um, look, I know you just mentioned what's new that you've been playing. I have to say uh, most of the things on my list for discussion today are not brand new things. It is a bit of a... A retrospective, in a sense, because um, I'll kick this off with. I mean, is it? It's hard to go more retrospective than Risk in uh, in a lot of senses. But my my son recently chimed up. His birthday is coming up uh, pretty soon, and he said, "I want Risk for my birthday." And this was like out of the blue. I <laughs> we had not been discussing it. There are not many of those kinds of games floating around our house. I generally sort of, you know, have the newer genres and styles of games floating around. Um, so clearly this was like schoolyard discussion type stuff. And I'm sure it's just triggered that um, that war game reflex in his head going, this sounds fun. I like games that are about sort of wars and stuff. So I want that game. And it it led to me uh, jumping onto Twitter going, how do I... Guide guide (laughs) that sort of the you know the desire for risk, um, and guide it towards something that is probably um a little bit more modern and a bit more fun, Uh, but at the same time trying to respect the fact that you go you know what like we have a monopoly board in our house because sometimes the kids want to play the sad games with (laughs) other friends. Um, Though I did recently get roped into monopoly and I crushed everybody, crushed them. With their tears. <laughs> well, the funny thing was I was actually ready to say to them, it's it's okay, we can call it there. And they're like, no, no, let's play to the end. And I'm like, all right then, let me get even more ruthless. <laughs> I, I had a um, a, an ex-girlfriend of mine who was, uh, this is back in the days when I was relatively right-wing. I don't want to say that makes me sound like a lunatic, but I was veering more right than left and she was very left-wing. And the weird thing was she always kicked my ass in Monopoly. <laughs> which I always found vaguely offensive. I'm like, you're a socialist. Why is this happening? Hate <laughs> no handouts in Monopoly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look, I have to say, I had to pull some tricks like with my wife involved. Um, you know, the really the winning moment was when I negotiated a deal with her, knowing I was about to also negotiate a deal with my son because I knew that he'd just <laughs> cave on this deal. But if I did it with him first, she would never have made the other deal. Because then she would have seen exactly what was about to happen. So it was like, okay, I'll I'll pay over the odds to her because if the next thing happens first, she will never sell this to me. <laughs> right. So you do the, the wheeling and dealing monopoly. I go the other way and just short the market on houses so no one can build anything. <laughs> I actually, the, 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 the true the true arsehole strategy and the only strategy I respect. The true arsehole strategy, <laughs> just build houses, never hotels, and then no one else can build houses. Exactly. Right. And, of course, optimal number, three houses. Like mathematics mm-hmm. people, just go for the optimization. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I literally actually I ha- I had cornered the market on houses and I I tried. That was my one nice move was telling everybody, now I'm upgrading to hotels, but you all need to appreciate that I don't have to and you are not allowed to buy houses if they are not in the bank. Therefore, I could control everything from here. 
I really am winning at this point, but you want to keep yeah. playing. So yeah. let's make I'm just, but I was just trying desperately to point out how terrible this game was because it was designed entirely in my favour, which, of course, was meant to be the moral lesson about capitalism. Exactly. I am sure this is an, uh, a topic for a later episode, but there are so many good, like, empire property-building alternatives mm-hmm. to Monopoly. Yes. Yep. Lords of Vegas is my number one Monopoly replacement. But, yeah, we'll get way too deep in the weeds on that one. (laughs) So, Risk, guys, help me out here. What do you think, I guess, number one, because I know there are so many versions floating around. I mean, oh yeah, again, it's crazy. And I know, that like Monopoly these days, I've and I have not explored any of those, but I have heard that you know that they've changed rules in some of the weird other versions of Monopoly to make it slightly different. But Risk, um, I'd love any of your whether it's hands on or just hearsay thoughts on which path to go when you've got a kid dragging on the arm saying, "I want this war game." So I will say that. Credit where it is due, a lot of the licensed or variant versions of Risk will be drastically different to core Risk, Yeah, uh, which is really nice to see. Um, for my money, like off the bat, if somebody must buy a copy of Risk, I will tell them to buy Risk Legacy. That's in 100% I agreed like so much on that point. It's not even funny. It is, I think, as close as you can get to the core Risk experience. Um, mm. If you play it with one group, you get the magic of those grudges and that ongoing narrative unfold over the course of multiple games. Yeah, cool. uh, and it changes the core resolution to be quite a bit more strategic and essentially removes any of the really boring attrition in vanilla risk. Yep. Games are over really quickly too. Like you can, oh, okay. you can have some, you can have some slow games. They can happen. It's not immune to it, but as a general rule, certainly in my group, I don't know if it's the same with yours, Luke, but when we played through Risk, like we would smash out a number of games of Risk Legacy in a session because it was just, yeah. it was rapid fire, just boom, 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 boom. Oh, you won, but not in a kind of toss a coin. Oh, I guess, you know, it's so quick that anybody <laughs> could win. Like whoever won, you're like, oh, I, I, I see how you won. That, that sucks yeah. for me because it wasn't me. Um, but yeah, it was quick. It was rapid fire. Um, I yeah, agree. Um, it's, our I'm, record was about half an hour for a round and that was an anomaly how short that was, but. Um, the way it works is every person, the first territory they put troops in becomes like their headquarters. And it's a lot like the um, the most recent civilization where you don't need to wipe everything out. You just need to control a certain number of headquarters. Right. So you can't do that thing where you just spread out as far as you can and leave one person everywhere because you'll just leave <laughs> direct avenues for people to smash through your battle lines. Right. Okay, and um, so with the with the legacy gameplay, is the idea that the same people um, are meant to sort of play continuously as the same? Uh, I think you miss out a lot yeah. if you don't. Like yeah. it's it is that story that you tell as a group. It's not as story. It, it's interesting because obviously, so as far as I'm aware, it was certainly the game that coined legacy as a, you know, the term we use today. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was the very first legacy game, regardless of whether um, other games before it didn't use that label. I don't think there were any other of those. Um, but that whole nature of um, just you you are creating a story, these cool things that happen, and it's not like something like we're Pandemic Legacy where there is a bit of a, um, a narrative that's kind of baked in, you know, this happens and then this happens in, February and this happens in March. These are more, I, I felt the, the stories that were being created were a little bit more emergent, but that those shared experiences, like there's 
you know, so many times I'll look at a, a, a risk legacy map, um, and not even in my own, I'll look at a particular country and I'm like, oh, I remember what happens to that country on the base, what happened to us. Yeah. Or why <laughs> yeah. it's been given that name sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there's a lot of, I think, mechanical incentives that enhance the experience if you play with certain groups. So this is this is going back because I've not played it for years, but um, I recall something like if you are the person who named a territory in a previous game, you get more troops if you control it. Yeah. So there's a lot of like grudges and strategies and things that play out over the course of the full campaign yeah. of playing multiple rounds that are really, really good if you can play with the same group. Yeah, yeah I had a situation where in uh, our game I took Southeast Asia um, and that was kind of my realm. That's where I started off. And I can't remember what actually happened to cause this, but basically it went from being a really, really strong position in, in the early games until people realized, hang on a second, Nathan's kind of dominating some of these early games because of his sort of hold in Southeast Asia. And whatever it was, because likewise, it's been years since I've played, whatever it is these other people did, it eventually ended up impacting the board game state to the point where my position was significantly less weakened by the actions that were happening in previous games. So I was sort of coming to a new game and not having the level of strength I had in prior games, which was fascinating. And the game itself evolves as well. Like new rules and new abilities get unlocked as you play or as you do certain things. So there's there's packets in the in the board that are sealed that you'll only open if, for instance, three nukes get fired off in one game. Which right. is the best box. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's also like not not exactly a cooperative element, but definitely a uh, an element of collusion where mm. players will want those boxes open, so they'll fudge it a little bit just to make sure one of those gets open in a round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, look- that happened with us with the rockets thing. Like that was the two rockets had been fired, and the third rocket that got fired provided no strategic benefit whatsoever <laughs> to the person who fired it. They just wanted to open that box. Yeah, yeah. they're like, please, everybody, respect my wishes, and we all benefit. <laughs> From the firing of yet another nuke. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> so in the in the context of this being a young teenager who is wanting to to play, my one sort of thought here is, you know, can you still let's say let's say we're like four games deep on the this legacy campaign that we're all running through, can he still have some mates over and have a game of risk on the same board? Um, I think you can do it in the middle of a game. It's going to, um, yeah, there's no reason you couldn't. You just don't open anything you don't draw on the board, I guess. I mean, the big problem with Risk Legacy is theoretically when you finish the game, you have a a game of Risk that is 100% unique to you that you can yeah. keep playing on, but you are going to imbalance the hell out of that board by <laughs> yeah. the end of the game. It is not going to be a fair game to play out of the context yeah. of Legacy. But theoretically, because like, yeah, it should it should be possible. I feel. I think it would be possible. And that said, I uh, when when I played through it, it wasn't the same group for every round. There were a couple of like flex seats of people dropping in and out. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what is really good is if someone plays in like the third game and then comes back for the eighth game and they're just like, what, what, <laughs> what happened? happened? <laughs> <laughs> that is great. <laughs> um. So I would I would totally say yes. Have have him have mates around. Have him play, but let them shape the board as well because that's half the fun of it. Mm. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Honestly, I I am confessing a little bit here, but show me a game you own that you've played thirteen times. 
Oh, 100%. Like, uh, the the only games of mine that I can say that I've done that with are solo board games because yeah. it's I can just play them like a video game. I want to play that. Cool, I'll play it. The multiplayer games like Risk Legacy and like so many other board games, you got to organize that stuff. Like, yeah. that's an event. Yeah. No, you, you do. Um, so, yeah, I'd say go for it. But in terms of, like, in terms of, like, Vanilla Risk, it's, it's not great. Mm. But... It's playable. If if you don't know better, it's playable. <laughs> yes. And look, I feel like the, the one sort of thing that always leaps back into my mind about what is wrong with Vanilla Risk is that episode of Red Dwarf where Rimmer is recounting classic yeah. matches that he has played and he's <laughs> literally just rattling off the dice rolls. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you're like, this is not. This is not something you should inflict on your friends when it comes to recounting a story of that game that time that you played. Um, no, that that is true. I think um, I never had a copy of Classic Risk, but I played a bunch of it when I was younger. The version I had was the Lord of the Rings tie-in Risk mm-hmm. that Ooh. was actually really, really improved because it was team-based. So it was ah, cool. two versus two, and it had a clock. So the fellowship oh. was actually moving across the board as a mechanic, uh-huh. and you could do things to delay that a little bit, but it meant the game had a finite length. Yeah. So you couldn't just sit down and turtle. You actually had to interact with the board state. Yeah. And that made it really playable. And there were event cards as well. It was just like a little bit of extra meat to what is basic mm. risk. Look, I think if you take the turtling out of risk, like that, that for me is risk's biggest negative yeah i mean mean, it it incentivizes that as well exactly you you want i sit there i'll build up my forces so i'm safe and then i can start spreading out like there's um that that's a dull way to play um many games Yeah. (laughs) yeah and i think every game of traditional risk i've ever seen someone win has been won in the same fashion which is they put every reinforcement they can in one territory and just sweep Mm-hmm. And that is after three or four turns of other players doing that and not getting as far. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this then brings me to this sort of slightly broader question of you know why these games even keep coming up, why Monopoly still is one of the biggest selling board games in the world in its various incarnations. Yeah, the, that place for classic games in a collection and. Is it just kind of the same as people having, you know, a deck of normal playing cards sitting around to kind of play things because you know that everybody kind of knows it? Like, and is there yeah. a way to sort of take that familiarity and and then help? Like, and that's partly where I'm wondering about that idea of saying, well, what about the, I think there's some like 21st century version of Risk or, tw- sorry, 22nd century version of Risk or yes. 2107. Which apparently or, isn't too bad. I haven't yeah. played it, but I've, I've heard, heard it's things. good. Mm. Yeah. So I just wonder yeah. about, you know, those it's, ways it's the of... brand recognition. Like, yeah, it totally. 100% is. Um, so I, I actually had a, a, a new housemate move in and, um, like, helped him move in a little bit. And he goes, oh, thank you. I wanted to get you something. I know you like board games. And he got me, I, he, I don't know why, but he got me a copy of Star Wars Risk. And I'm like, ah. Oh. oh, the new one? That's, that's Queen's Gambit? Uh it might be. I haven't actually cracked it yet. But <laughs> oh, dude, crack it because yeah, that's... it's not Risk. It's actually like yeah, it's a totally different game. game. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah it's just called Risk. But as I was, I was like, oh, thank you. And then I was doing a bit of research on it, and it actually sounds super cool. It's like um, the aerial theaters of three key Star Wars battles all played out at the same time. Yes. I have no idea why it's called Risk, but it it looks really, <laughs> really good. 
Yeah, so the, the background to that one is there was a game called Queen's Gambit that was released by um, Hasbro or Milton Bradley. Who, who owns Risk these days? Is it Hasbro? I think it's Hasbro. Yeah. yeah. I think Hasbro owns almost everything now anyway. Yeah, this is true. Um, so there was a game called Queen's Gambit, which was uh, set, uh, it was Star Wars, the prequel trilogy. Right, um, yeah. So, and it, it was actually legitimately a good game and it worked on that similar concept where it was multiple sort of theatres of battles. I think it was um, uh, the Battle for Naboo plus a dogfight happening in space plus Anakin fighting Obi-Wan or something like that. And they yeah, sort of, right. these three things are happening at once. And it was actually a really, really good game. But because um, the prequel trilogies landed with such an absolute thud, it sold like shit and got this they just they never reprinted it and it actually ended up becoming one of those grail games for a lot of people right. and then they rethemed it mate oh, they're, they're yeah. definitely there are definitely mechanical changes like it's not just a straight retheming and updating to the to the original trilogy um but yeah so they just made all these changes to it and then re-released it as star wars risk which wow. was very very strange because you're gonna have a lot of people who bought that expecting risk with star wars <laughs> Um, and what they were actually getting was a reprint, essentially, of this game from the early 2000s. I am fine tricking people into playing other games. Like, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you, it sounds like you, I think you're on a winner with that one, Luke. Apparently it is Yeah, excellent. I'm actually really keen to crack it now. <laughs> so this actually makes me feel like one of the solutions to this whole classic games problem is to buy Lords of Vegas and put it in a Monopoly box. And so totally. when someone comes oh, over... Really? You still want to get him, yeah. You still want to get him a war game, right? So, like, pick him up, you know, Blood Rage, but put it in a risk box. Yeah, <laughs> here you go, buddy. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's Blood. It's risk. Vikings now. Yeah, it's Blood <laughs> Risk. It's just it's a it's, it's a weird font. Risk it's a weird rock. font. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah. Look, and I thankfully, you know, I have children growing up in a household where they do love all these other kinds of games. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like it's it will be a, you know, a phase through which he discovers others. Now, I'm going to actually ask, because this is, right, one of those things from my own teenage era that I loved, Axes and Allies. Yes. Is it, is oh, it a yeah. terrible game or does it hold up? I think it's better later? than Risk. I think it's easily better than Risk. Um, but it has been um, uh, superseded. I think the common one people refer to now as the uh, the, the better um, Access and Allies is right. um, Nexus Ops. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, if I am remembering correctly, um, it has been so long since I yeah. played Nexus Ops so I can barely remember how it plays, but I seem to recall that being the, Obviously, if you like Access and Allies, but you want something modern, play Nexus Ops. Yeah, and it, it, I don't think it ever invalidates those old games it's just oh yeah shoulders of giants right like board gaming design has matured so much that those games look really antiquated now yeah look i mean speaking of antiquated i'll uh when i i did work experience back in the day at napoleon's military bookshop in sydney (laughs) oh wow and, we had one of those in Melbourne. Yeah, and it was great and because it was one of those rare places you could get, you know, cool games that weren't just the games that happened to be in Maya's game section um, mm-hmm. and D&D books and all that stuff. But the guy I ran it at the time was great, but I actually remember, and I cannot remember the name of the game, but he was doing some cleaning up of a storeroom and he found some weird game that had fallen behind some shelf, but he... He put it out on 
on the uh, you know on one of the storefronts, and he just kind of said, "He's like that'll be gone in two hours." Because <laughs> whatever it was, he's like, "Oh, someone's going to walk in here and know that that hasn't been around in a long time." <laughs> and just pick it up. <laughs> yeah, and it was That's really it was, cool. it was gone. Just someone clearly on their lunch break walking through, just like, "Oh my god, it's here." <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, um, but total yeah, total random aside. But um, yeah, look. Uh, let me just uh, any other thoughts on that whole little classic games thing or i'll move on uh i will do a quick shout out oh yeah please i am obsessed with this game right now but i'm playing um sabotage which is tim fowers new one which is kind of like battleship plus so it's it's re-themed as spies versus supervillain so it's asymmetric but it uses that kind of battleship mechanic where it's hidden movement and trying to find where other people are, except everything can move and you have different objectives. So the spies need to sabotage certain villain, like doomsday device installations, and the villains need to find and shoot the spies. But like, there's a lot of like hidden movement tracking and like hidden information and different abilities. It's just really, really, really good. And um, the box itself folds out into this kind of huge uh, kind of retro-futuristic 50s-style oh, nice. scanner device in the middle. It's it's just a gorgeous game, like all of Tim Fowers' games. But He did Burgle uh, Brothers as well, am I remembering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim, Tim Fowers is paperback guy, yeah? Yes. Yes, yeah. cool. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, because Brothers' box was amazing. Like, yeah, yeah, like turns into the, like, sky, the skyscraper with the helipad on top. That's, yeah. 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 How do you spell his surname? Because I'm looking this up. F O W E R S. E R S. Cool. And it's this interesting. Is sabotage. Sabotage. Yeah, that sounds great. And look, I think actually that's that's probably a good jumping point to jump straight to the whole video game tie-in board games because that that sounds like the kind of thing you were just talking about for this uh, other topic here, Nathan, which is that totally like that idea of hidden information movement happening in sort of asymmetric style. It it totally mm-hmm. sounds like the kind of thing where you go this. It, it gives me that sense that it has a lot of flavor of playing uh, a much more active, interactive experience instead of only playing something that is, you know, a flat board game. If flat, well, I mean, flat's a terrible word to use. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? Well, I mean, it's interesting you sort of mentioned the, the um, I guess, the, the, the stealth side of, of things because mm-hmm. um, what's recently pulled this into my mind is I've just gone and Stop, uh, dropped a stupid amount of money on um, IDW's um, upcoming uh, Metal Gear Solid game oh, um, yeah. to get the uh, – paying a ridiculous amount for shipping purely to get the day one version because it comes with miniature cardboard boxes. <laughs> I mean, and you need them, really. Hang on, hang on. Are, yeah, are, like, they, are they actual cardboard boxes or are no, they plastic mini, cardboard they're, boxes? They're pla- cardboard box oh minis. Oh my god! Um, but it also comes with a <laughs> mini tank and a hind D, and I like. I can't not like. You no, understand. there is no judgment here. I <laughs> wound up paying more than retail because I missed the Kickstarter on the Hellboy board game just to get these. Uh-huh. Yeah, fair enough too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, the guy who um uh, may is making the Metal Gear Solid game um is a guy called um. Uh, somebody Emerson, and I've forgotten his first name. Um, but he made a game called Spectre Ops, um, which was kind of like, I don't know if either of you have played it, but Spectre Ops is kind of like a competitive, um, Metal Gear Solid or a Splinter Cell or something. Like it, oh, okay, it's, cool. it's, 
sort of one person, it's a one V all style game um, where one person's trying to sort of like sneak out of a facility and the others are trying to sort of hunt them down. Um, and yeah, it, it, that game feels very video gamey in a, in a really, really strong sense. Um, but yeah, there's so many really good um, games out there that are, Either clearly inspired by video games or uh, excellent um, uh, licenses of video games, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got some weird ones that are excellent licenses licenses of video games that are just don't actually feel anything like their their video game counterpart. Like the one that immediately comes to mind, and this game didn't go over huge for me, but like XCOM, the board game, yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, focus on the base management side of things. I knew that going in, I just didn't particularly like the game. But it was kind of weird that, yeah, we've got this thing, we've licensed this board game and actually didn't feel like <laughs> the, the game at all. Um, and then a, you take some... So go on. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's, it's a game that you think this could be translated... <laughs> Yeah, like it's, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like the really like easy path to go would be to make a tactical... Minis yeah. game, <laughs> like somebody controlling the aliens, somebody controlling the soldiers. No base yeah. management. That's what I think when I think XCOM. Yeah, like <laughs> um, so that that was really weird. But then you've got like the, you know the flip side of that, where you've got a, a game like say this War of Mine, um, which is the board game version of the incredibly depressing video game, um, and is a very depressing board game as a result. And that's pretty much a one for one recreation of the of the video game experience into yeah. a board game format. I will say um, the past two versions of the Civilization board game have felt so much like Civ. It's not funny. How do you compare? So I've not played them. I've had a look through the rules, um, and I and because you always get a different experience when you're actually playing something versus reading yeah. the rules. Um, but the one for me that has always felt like Civ, despite the fact it completely removes the exploration aspect, um, is Through the Ages. Right. Yeah. 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 Through the Ages is actually quite fun. Um, it it depends what element of Civ. So Through the Ages yeah. models the kind of tech tree thing super, super well. Yeah, and that sort of re- internal resource management yeah. of your cities. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, would absolutely recommend that. But um, I, I think the Civ board games do a really good job of modeling the various systems of Civ and right. the victory conditions. Uh, and the ridiculous thing, because this is – I would say a complete anomaly for a video game to board game translation. Take about a tenth of the time to play. Yeah, <laughs> I was literally going to ask, and does it take at least forty hours? The um the most recent one, which is called Civilization: A New Dawn, which is based on Civ five or six. I think six, it's, six think. is the most recent yeah. Civ, but I think this is based on five. Right, I think because it still uses squares instead of hexes. Oh, um, there you go. Yep. Uh, but it plays in about 90 minutes and it's just like a really good 4X board game. Yeah, right. Like, I'll have to check it out. I just, I, I don't know why. I've, these are the Fantasy Flight versions, yeah? Uh, yes, but yeah. this is nowhere near as bitsy as the previous version of Civ, also right. Fantasy Flight, but that was like tokens for literally everything Fantasy Flight special. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll have to try that one because I, I do love me some Civ and I like Civilization board games. Like Through the Ages is one of my all-time favourite board games. Like, yeah. Just- but um, that game's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I should give that a go. Yeah. Um, what's the other one that does tech trees very uh, – Innovation. Innovation's a fun one as well. Yeah, now that's the game I um, – I, that's the um, uh, Chuddick yes. game, yeah, is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, only played, um, I've only played Matai and I and um, 
uh, glory to Rome of his games, the only ones of his I've played. Um, so, and I've heard very good things about innovation. Yeah, I would definitely recommend if you want something in that space. Ooh, we'll have to check that one out. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So what do you feel like is some of the worst of the licensed? I guess the, yes, we really did just get a license and slap it on the cover. And I mean, obviously, oh, so, Warcraft so Monopoly many. clearly is uh, one of those. <laughs> there's, there's so many really bad ones. I think there's a, there's the obvious bad ones where it is exactly as you've just described, and I think there's way too many to count. Like where they've just managed to get the license and they have just literally slapped it on a board game. Um, but I think there are definitely games that are uh, Pokemon where Ludo. a bit more effort effort went into it, but they just kind of <laughs> fucked it. If you pardon my French. Um, yeah, I recently played the God of War board game that's just come out, and it wasn't it wasn't a bad game, mm-hmm. but it was not for me, and I don't yeah. know who it was for. Uh, <laughs> and like, as it, it, it's based on the most recent God of War, so Angry Dad God of War, mm. uh, and uh, yep. it kind of tries to model the boss fights from God of War, where it's like repeat a pattern, expose a weak spot, hit the weak spot. But that is not a thing that translates very well to a deck builder ish card game. No. Mm. Which is really weird because you'd think it would be a good fit. Most deck builders are about, you know, refining your deck, comboing out, and just doing the same thing over and over. Mm. But the way it played out was like there was this weird tableau of enemy cards in front of you that you would flip one way or another based on like certain triggers and like you'd be tracking your health and things would attack certain rows, almost MOBA style. It was, it just felt very clunky for something that was trying to model very tight combat. And so is that yeah, a right. solo play experience or is that actually a group? Cooperative. Ah, oh, yep. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. And so yeah. what do you feel like is the hallmark of a good time board game? Like, is it about momentum or like, because I, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of like when you mentioned sabotage, that was the thing that kind of leapt to mind. Was it, it 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 gives me that picture in my mind of of a certain kind of, you know, tension and momentum in the gameplay sort of that, you know, that really sort of has that, you know, sells that idea of the interactivity of of a of a video game in a sense. So, yeah, you know, I'm what do you feel like is that thing that makes a board game sell that video game style experience? I think, I mean, it's going to be very different on the, obviously, the style of video game that it's yeah, attempting to replicate. Yeah. But one that comes to mind that is a really video gamey board game that actually is not a license based um, game. It's a game from um, uh, Simon and it's uh, called Rum and Bones. And I'm specifically thinking mm. of Rum and Bones Second Tide, which is a MOBA. Like it is, that is exactly 100% yeah, right. what this game is. Um, and even to the point where you have, you know, just, uh, mobs that you don't control. They just sort of sweep from one base to the other. And it's a, it, yep. the, the yep. concept is you various forms of fantastical pirates. Um, you know, some standard pirates, some that have like, you know, 
sort of ninjas and whatnot and some that are weird sea creatures and blah, blah, blah. Um, but you've got two ships and they're sort of pulled up alongside each other and your goal is to destroy the or, or take control of the opponent's ship. And you do that with, like you do in a MOBA, you have like three or four, I can't remember the number, it's been a while since I played, um, like hero characters um, and they're the ones that you actually control. But meanwhile, there's these automated waves of enemies that are, you know, coming from that are on, you know, your team going across to the opposing boat and vice versa. Um, and that game's got a ro- wonderful sense of escalation and excitement. And it's one of those games where I do find myself, you know, on a dice roll, you know, throwing your fist in the air when things go particularly well. Particularly this yeah. wonderful rigging mechanic where you, uh, swing from one ship to another. Oh, but that's it's, great. It's, it's really easy to mess up and land in the drink and be out for a round. <laughs> Um, yeah, nice. and it's, it's just a hoot of a game and that, that actually captures that feeling of MOBAs. And apparently the Riot produced video, uh, board game. That oh, I've the League played, of Legends uh, board the game? The League of Legends one. Yeah. Um, oh, what's it called? Mix vs. Minions. Yeah, Mix vs. Minions. Um, apparently that one does an excellent job of that as well. Although that plays more with the programming style of, um, board game where you sort of set up your moves in advance. Oh, and don't talk to me about Robo Rally. <laughs> I'm more of a space alert guy. Ah, oh, um, see, space alert I love, as, um, which does feel quite video gamey. It, it feels extremely video gamey. If, um, a video game where everybody's drunk. But to, <laughs> um, but to to come back to Shay's question, I think you get the feel of momentum from two things. Uh, one is a very easy to read board state, so you know where you mm-hmm. stand in relation to victory at any time. And the other thing is like any changes to your board state should be dramatic and very quick to enact, either if it's like the enemy or the board acting in a cooperative game or another player. So yep. like decisions should have meaning. It shouldn't be a lot of I move this guy forward a couple of spaces and then do the same thing 200 times because that's how many creeps are on the board sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, you don't want chess. Yeah. I mean, and I love chess. I think chess is an amazing game, but that's not a video game. <laughs> yeah, so like it's it's not it's not a great game, but one that is great for this is an old Steve Jackson game called Frag, which tries to model those old kind of like Doom and Quake style mm-hmm. first person shooters. Yeah. And it is just run around on the board, pick up weapons and shoot people. And it is the most hectic, imbalanced thing possible. But <laughs> it feels like playing one of those old shooters. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Now that sounds great. And now Nathan, I think when we were talking about this earlier, you also mentioned something that kind of has a Street Fighter vibe going on. Yeah, so there's a game called Battlecon um, that uh, myself and uh, a gentleman you all know, uh, Paul Houlihan, and I got mm-hmm. massively into. Um, Battlecon's made by a company called Level 99, um, and it's uh, it is 100%. It is goal. Its goal is to create the standard one-on-one fighter in a board game format, and it does a really interesting thing because you would think, okay, Street Fighter. Or any of those um, games. Actually, it's, it probably feels a little bit closer to Blaz Blue if we've got any fighting fans ah, listening, yes. um, which is my personal favourite um, one-on-one fighter. Uh, but it's you would think that a game that is so heavily based on reflexes, you know, and and uh, you know, and how quickly you can react to something is not going to translate well into a turn-based board game. That the only way to do this is to make it in some form of real-time dexterity game or something like that. So but that's actually what I thought a- there must have been a dexterity vibe going on in there somewhere when you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, no, but they've actually sucked all the dexterity right out of it. Now there was a period in time where I was like really, really, really heavily into um one on one fighters on console. Um and I I distinctly remember the point where I got past 
just, you know, feeling great when I pulled off a Hadouken or something like that, to actually understanding a little bit of the way the matchups between characters work and the strategy that you're playing with. And there's actually, you know, at high level play, I'm not saying I was there. There's a significant amount of um, strategy based around um, spacing of characters yeah. and mind games, trying to bait out certain moves from other players so you could punish them. And that's what BattleCon has kept. And the yeah, way it works right. is that you have a deck of cards and it's only like, um, I think it's like eight, maybe, maybe 10 um, cards. And you will take half of those cards are called bases and the others are called styles and to do an attack you play face up a base and a style together and those two cards combine to be your actual move and it's all open information and there's this cycling system so when i do um, an attack those cards go into a discard pile that those cards basically stay out for two rounds and then they come back into my hand and i can play them again and what this means is that you, because it's open information, you look at your opponent's deck. You know what cards they can possibly play. You look at the board state, and the board is just a series of spaces. Like, it's just a line of spaces with your little standee fighter character um, at either side. And you go, right, well, I'm this far away from my opponent. So if they wanted to actually hit me, the only cards that they would be able to do that with would be maybe these three possible combinations of what they've got. But... Yeah. They are looking at my cards and knowing that I would need to step in to deliver my most powerful attack. So actually, there's a totally different combo of cards they could play. And also, based on what you play, the speed at which who goes first will change. Yeah. Um, so it becomes this really intense mind game. And I will never forget the, this one character I was playing. And the game has that many goddamn characters in it. And they're all very, very unique. Um, but I'll never forget playing one game where, uh, and this was against Paul, um, he was, I could tell that his next move, he was gearing up to do this ridiculously ultra powerful, does a gazillion points of damage and will just defeat me in one hit. Um, and I was able to step aside and I've just been playing this combination with my super, which was to basically reverse it all back to him. Oh, and it was yeah. just one of those moments where he's thrown his cards down and I'm just like in the back of my head, just going, yes, and flipped my cards over and just seeing that look on the opponent's face when they just clock what's about to happen. <laughs> um, and it was glorious. And it was, it's, it's like those moments when you see the, um, uh, oh God, I forgot, Justin, um, Justin. Oh, the Dino yeah, exactly. It, that's what it felt like, but on the board game. Um, that sounds amazing. What's this called again? Battle Con. So B A Battle Con. C O N. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. It's, uh, and if you want to grab it, Devastation of Indines is the version you want. Um, Indines is this world that, that, uh, level 99 put a lot of their board games, set a lot of their board games mm-hmm. in. Um, but yeah, it's, it just, I, the game still blows my mind every time I think about it and every time I get a chance to play it. And it is one of those things where you, you, you main a character. Like you go, I'm going to stick with this character until I, properly yeah. get them and understand how to use them i think it is of all the games that i have played that have been based on video games or have a, or, or at least based on a genre of video game i think it is the one that has 100 percent nailed it the most for me where it gets gives me the same emotions even talking about it now i'm just like oh i really want to play battlecom now <laughs> yeah. that sounds brilliant i yeah i love yeah it just sounds like a fantastic and I can totally see as well that like my kids have even sometimes just you know just made up their own kind of dumb card games, but mm-hmm. with exactly that kind of a spirit behind it, where they're just trying to throw things at each other and tell the story of like some fight. 
you know and so yeah it sounds like that they've they've nailed that feeling of, of playing exactly that that style again that sounds awesome yeah they totally have it's 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 uh, yeah, it's an absolute masterstroke. There is a version made by um Steve, uh, sorry, by um David Serlin, who was a um guy who uh, was a competitive Street Fighter player. Then was working for Capcom for a while. Was responsible for the Street Fighter Two HD remix. Um, he's made a game called Yomi, which I haven't played. Um, and that's kind of the the fight between fans is always which one captures the feeling of <laughs> these games better. Is it Yomi or is it Battlecon? Yomi doesn't have the board, so I give it to Battlecon. Um, yeah, the whole actually moving your characters back and forth, you know, stepping out of range and all that's just way too much fun. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. Um, so I will uh, jump to one more little topic here before we wrap things up. I, because uh, again, I have to, you know, I keep bringing it up. I have kids. We're in this whole phase where the magical world of games is opening up to them because, you know, they're starting to get past being little tiny kids and they have awesome brains that are now filling filling full of nerdy things. Um, and one of the things we've kind of realized is that there are some games that we own, but we haven't actually really gotten around to playing yet because that whole phase of sitting around trying to read rule books is still, that's the point of tension <laughs> where they're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's boring. We could do the thing we already know how to do. Um, and so one of those, little, yeah, and it's clearly one of the smaller games in this sort of style, but we have had uh, One Night in Ultimate Werewolf, um, sitting on a shelf for quite a while and then I finally just went, you know what, we were sitting around and I just thought I'm just going to look up a video on YouTube of just somebody playing it just mm-hmm. so that everybody in the room kind of gets the chance to go, ah, oh, that's what that is. That actually looks fun. Okay, yeah, we should totally go and play that. And then, you know, 10 minutes later we were having a round because it was just so obvious that, the rules didn't even really need explaining at that point, particularly when <laughs> yeah. you realize there's this lovely handy app that it just tells you exactly what you have to do every time you play it. Um, so you're talking One Night Ultimate Werewolf, eh? Yes. I take yeah. back everything I said in our pregame chat. One Night <laughs> Ultimate Werewolf is amazing. <laughs> I love that game. I don't like normal werewolf, but I will always down for a game of One Night Ultimate. Yeah, That game right. is so much silly fun. Yeah, and that was it. We kind of really, and even, you know, we played a, f- a few rounds three-handed and it definitely, it's pretty weak, I think, with three mm-hmm. players because it's just so obvious what is happening really yeah. quickly and it's hard to kind of bluff your way out of anything when there's two people staring at you and you're like, yeah, they already know what they know and <laughs> damn, you know. Um, but um but yeah but then when we moved to four players um then you know it really sort of opened up those dynamics so much more to be able to try to yeah bluff second guess all that sort of stuff i actually you know i I came so close to getting away with with having become the werewolf in that Mm -hmm. you know i i got given it it was given to me um and I can't remember. I I kind of I think I was the insomniac, and so I I got to look at it at the end. I knew I was the werewolf, and then while everything was kind of coming together, and my wife was the one who handed me the werewolf. Oh yeah, or it had been switched by a troublemaker, and she's just like, oh well, wait, I was the werewolf, so it's him. We kill him. Yep. Um, that I then quickly spun a story of being the drunk and that actually <laughs> I had put it into the middle and therefore I 
wouldn't be the werewolf anymore because, you know, like turn order, all that jazz. And I almost got away with it except for the fact that my wife went, yeah, but it's more fun if we kill somebody. So let's just kill him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do remember a, just very quickly a scenario I was playing where somebody's actually made, a, they've basically explained exactly what they did during the turn. They've gone, it has to be this person because I got to see this person's card. They were a werewolf and I, and you've just admitted that you moved the card here. Da, 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 da. And I've turned around and said, ah, very good. So we need to kill you. And she's like, what? I've just explained the werewolf him. He's gone, yeah, you've just dobbed yourself in because before all that happened, I switched your cards. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and she was like, oh my God, I've just provided the evidence for my own death. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that was I think that was a great thing actually of the video that we chose to watch. Um, it was a Polygon uh, Overboard, I think, is their series of board mm-hmm. game tutorials. Um, that there was a great kind of scenario along those lines in that one, where uh, yeah, where someone has kind of made their gambit of pretending that they were a seer, and then someone on the other side of the board has kind of let them talk that whole thing through before they went. Okay, that's great, but I actually was the seer, and <laughs> and that means this, 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 um, and so it was great. So suddenly I was like, oh, yeah, particularly for my kids, are like, so wait, you just like you can just make anything up, and you can just lie in whatever way you want. We love this game. <laughs> um, it's so good. Yeah. So, but yeah, that the, the main kind of crux of that was that idea that do you feel like even for some of the more complex games out there that there is you know, great value in going and finding these videos to watch now that we just have this wonderful resource that is YouTube to just go and find somebody showing it in a way that rule books can be just awful. Like I I am all for it. Uh, I know personally I am someone who learns by playing a couple of turns of a game. Like mm-hmm. I can read a rule book cover to cover, but until I've played at least one turn, I will have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, like I, I I learned by like physically moving components around and knowing the cycle of a turn order, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get you get that kind of feel from watching something as well. It's just the words for whatever reason don't sink in when I'm reading through a rule book, which is not great because I'm usually the person teaching rules. <laughs> um, but I I think it's it's a great trend, and I would absolutely encourage more and more people to do it. Uh, simply because, like, I play games with a lot of people who aren't hardcore board gamers, but they are. They they play a lot of like video games, and they see things laid out on the board in front of them. And they're like, "But what do?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, there's just a psychological block on having a board game in front of you and them synthesizing rules. It, it's funny you say that. I've seen that a lot myself, um, and that's with teaching people who aren't board gamers yeah um, and there is this psychological hurdle that i see people like really struggle to get over i've the nut there was one woman who i used to work with and i do there was a time i'd bring board games on friday night we'd have friday night drinks at work play some you know fairly light board games and she would always come in with the most negative attitude not in terms of i'm going to hate this she loves playing the games but i don't get it oh my god i'm so confused and would win very regularly. <laughs> and she'd be sitting there partway through a game going, I don't understand. I'm like, what do you mean you don't understand? Every single move you have made has been <laughs> the right move. You do understand. You just won't let yourself believe you understand. It, it's the, yeah, there's this weird hurdle for people to get over when it comes to board games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's yeah. a sense that you can't take, like there's a sense of permanency to the actions you take in a board game. 
Like in a video yeah. game, you can just play in the world and the world will stop you if you've done something wrong. That is a really yeah. good point. In board games, I make that move and, oh, my God, I've stuffed it up and now I've screwed it up for everybody because I've and done like this a, wrong thing. There's a button that just will reset you to the very beginning so you can try again the next time, whereas there is a feeling that you're like, oh, resetting this up, that could take Which, minutes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, ironic because if you get one move wrong in a board game, it's easier just, to take back than if you so right. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that like but i know i've kind of had this feeling in the pit of my stomach too sometimes where you like but what if i get the first turn wrong yeah and of course we have totally done that actually in this house where we have arcadia quest and the first time we played um a a series of rounds of that we then sort of look you know uh we were playing it and suddenly going, this character is just ridiculously overpowered. And then it's like, oh, they can only use that ability once in a... Yeah, in yeah, yeah. A- <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the, the legacy game I mentioned before, we got two-thirds of the way through before we realized we were getting one rule wrong that made it far, far easier and <laughs> another rule wrong that made it much, much harder. So we just called it a wash when we got to that yeah. point. Perfect. Yeah. But it, it happens, you know? It just... Yeah. It, it's fine. It's it's just a game, guys. Yeah. Uh, listen, if that's that's a weak attitude, that's the yeah. attitude of the yeah. I can't remember the exact quote. Yeah. I'm not going to try and get Stay into angry, kids. Stay angry. Stay angry. Um, even playing solo games where I've got all the time in the world, like to to check on a rule or to make sure I'm doing something right, the only person I'm putting out is myself and I'm not putting myself out because I want to make sure I'm playing it right. I often mm-hmm. do feel as when you're teaching board games, there is that um, – hesitancy to go back to the rule book to check something because yeah. you feel like you're slowing it down for everyone else. But even when I'm playing a solo board, like that Renegade game I was talking about before, my first two games I played with that, I was thinking, oh, this game's a bit easy for a solo game. And then I realized that I had missed a step in every single round of the game where I was meant to add enemy pieces to the board. <laughs> There's almost oh. no, Just no one wonder small, you're finding it too easy. Yeah, one really small <laughs> step I, there. <laughs> I am all for people watching videos simply because the other day I cracked Vast and mm-hmm. I haven't played it yet. And with a group of people who haven't played it yet. And Vast is a competitive dungeon crawler, but it's completely so competitive. Somebody can be the dungeon. Somebody is the dungeon. Somebody is a dragon asleep in the dungeon. Somebody's a fighter. Somebody's a rogue. Somebody's all the goblins, like all the minions in the dungeon. And everyone has completely different abilities and victory conditions. Try explaining this game to people who have never played it when you yourself have also never played it. Yeah. Uh, Seems to be a thing with Cold World's games. The same deal with Roos, which is another yeah. one where it's completely asymmetric. I, like, it's yeah. awesome conceptually, but Christ, is it difficult to teach. I can completely imagine, yeah, you're halfway through saying, now this is what you'll be doing, and someone else saying, so I do. No, 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 you do something completely different. We'll get to yeah. you. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. See, for me, that's Captain Sonar. Like, I hate teaching that game. I love that game so much, Um, which is basically it's battleship kind of, for want of a better term. But, yeah, each – it's two two teams of four players and – there is a role Sorry, I for each. That. I just totally had to kill a, a mosquito that just flew past my desk and I smashed my Fair microphone enough. in the process. <laughs> Fair enough. Mosquitoes must die. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those games. Each For each, uh, you are teaching four different games to people yeah. um, because each role is yeah. a completely different game. They have their own separate board that they play on. Um, so I, yeah. That is bad. Vast was also bad, but I think – 
in my experience, the worst kinds of games to teach people at the table is anything with a secret trader. Because yeah, true. either they could be the trader or you could be the trader. Mm-hmm. And you need to draw a line at some point on helping them or winning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, that's true. If you can get a third party to to, uh, to teach that for you without a vested yeah. interest. One, one of my absolute favorite board games is the Battlestar Galactica board game, mm-hmm. which has a whole secret trader mechanic. But it really only works if everyone knows the base rules. Yeah. And... Everyone needs to be on a very similar experience level, or it's going to be a blowout. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Which that's a good is point. yeah, yeah. And so, but, uh, if you yeah, can I'm do just your gonna, own research. Yeah, I'm going to quickly give you a bit of kudos, Luke, because having been taught board games by you and seen you teaching board games at PAX Australia, I know that you can be incredibly magnanimous in letting other people have a very <laughs> nice first game and maybe win when you could have crushed them. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's how you second game they did, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want them to play for money the second time, don't you? <laughs> yeah, and they never do. <laughs> All right, I uh, think we'll wrap it up. But just I, before we do, oh, I'm yeah, just gonna, please, uh, just for people listening, going, who do I listen? Who, where do I go to to find these video game board game tutorials? I'm just going to give two, oh, two strong recommendations. Um, probably the most famous one is a guy called Rodney Smith. Uh, Rodney Smith who has a board game channel on YouTube called Watch It Played. Um, and frequently a lot of new board games, they come out, they'll actually hire Rodney to do the sort of, here's exactly how to play video. Yeah. Yeah, he's exceptionally good at it. The other guy is a guy called Paul Grogan, who's nowhere near as famous as Rodney. Rodney's really managed to, um, sh- uh, to really sort of, I guess, dominate that particular area. But Paul is excellent. He's got one called Gaming Rules. And his focus, he pretty much anything that comes out from either Vital Lacerda or, um, Check Games Edition. Um, he will typically be the one who does the tutorial videos for those. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the, my sort of two recommendations. There's this other one who's got this incredibly handsome American fellow whose name I can't remember. Um, you know, those people like you kind of hate them when you watch them. It's like, wow, you're a nerd and you got like really chiseled features. You jerk. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen a couple of his videos. He did an excellent one on, um, uh, Twilight Imperium, uh, fourth edition. Uh, can't remember his name, so that's a useless recommendation. But there are a lot of good people out there do it. But yeah, Paul Grogan and Rodney Smith are probably my picks for the go to them first to try and find, uh, because they do, they, they've kind of nailed how to present video tutorials for learning how to play a board game. Yeah. And look, the one thing I even found when I was searching around for, um, the werewolf options was actually that there's there's definitely some real like there are good people and bad people at it because mm-hmm. right some people it's like they are just sort of they've decided to put together some canned video overlay while they read the rule book and you're like like yeah. I, I could read the rule book that's <laughs> I'm on YouTube to get someone to show me the the playing version of the rule book so that I go I'm gonna be oh. <laughs> I'm gonna be nasty and suggest that a lot of video board game reviews are just reading the rule book. Ooh, just, just, cool. just, just throwing that one out there, but that, uh, yeah. they, they really are. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I stand by that. Fair comment. <laughs> Even some of the biggest names in the industry just read the rules for twenty minutes and then tell you at the end. I think it's good. Anyway, <laughs> so you can save time by skipping to the end. Yeah, which is exactly what I do. <laughs> yeah. Look, that's no, up to uh, you. Yeah. The apologies old- to Mister Vassal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
Yes, I think we've <laughs> we've hit, roughly hit almost an hour. But I thought as part of wrapping up, because I realised, you know, I just we jumped in, we started talking. I didn't bother really introducing what you guys uh, are up to in the uh, wider sense of the world. But as part of wrapping up. Tell us where people can find you and if you have any cool plans for things you're going to play in the next week or places people can check out more of your stuff. Nathan. Cool. Um, I've really got nothing to share these days. So I used to write about video games, um, but these days, uh, I think last time I, went, I spoke about a project I was going to launch, um, which was just a solo board game review site, um, that is temporarily on hiatus. Um, so <laughs> if you want to just hear me rant about board games and politics and stuff um el prez au on twitter um and i my upcoming uh i guess thing to be playing i'm getting a copy of legends of andor on friday which is a an old classic um well not super old but uh, a bit of a classic board game that i've been itching to play for a long while and managed to pick up a copy for 40 bucks so that's my weekend sorted look and and clearly people can tweet at you when they see you posting pictures of your solo games to help you feel less alone Exactly right, and I'm they so, can, so very alone. <laughs> and the someone, real reason to follow Mr. Cox is his miniature painting, I must say. Oh, oh bless yeah. you, sir. And we will totally, I think, get into uh, the the finer points of painting at some point in future because, yeah, we've just been starting to get into that in this household, and today I literally came back from the city with a bag full of contrast paints. Oh, so, chasing the plastic dragon. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I um had a look. Uh, I've got two shipments of paint coming from Spain in the next week. <laughs> That's not messing around. A special order from Spain, no less. Yeah, uh, pretty good. Uh, I've got the uh, the Reaper Bones Kickstarter. Oh, nice one. Soon. Yeah, oh, you, you will be drowning in plastic. I know. The, the, You're not going to get all that painted. You know that. I know. I knew that when I backed it. <laughs> this is the thing that annoys me is I have literally. Only ever heard that there is a Bones Kickstarter after it is over because <laughs> oh. there's been multiples and I just so, always somehow I need to set up a notification on their Kickstarter page, don't I? I, I backed yeah. it quite early and the last hour of that Kickstarter campaign was the most insane thing I've ever seen. I got about 100 emails in that hour of them hitting new stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Right. So suddenly you're like, oh, I'm getting 150 extra minis at the end of this. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the Reaper stuff is uh, is absolutely crazy. So yeah, if you play role-playing games, um, which I don't anymore, which is why I stay away from the Reaper things, but if you play role-playing games, um, that you, you've got to get into those Kickstarters because there's exactly. your campaigns. Like the mm-hmm. next 10 campaigns, you've got all your minis for them and yeah. then some. So I've got a bunch of Dwarven Forge stuff, but I need oh, minis nice. to yeah. put on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the yeah, that's where we've currently got the gap um and luke uh mr content manager at pax australia um yes. i believe you won't be back on the show in the next few weeks because you're running off to do pax things overseas uh i am yeah i'm headed off to pax east and gdc next week but uh as Shay said you could obviously find me at pax australia if you can pin me down um, you can find me on Twitter at LG Lancaster, uh, and it would be awesome if you checked out I Speak Giant, the D&D podcast I'm on. Yes. I keep meaning to listen to that um, just purely because I keep laughing my ass off at all the jokes that Zach puts out on Twitter. Yeah, he does a very good job of promoting us. I mean, yeah. so much so that we really don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else goes, you, you do that, Zach. That's the way. <laughs> 
Um, uh, look, I'm going to just mention that I, so I've literally just had land uh, today the um, Dungeon Mayhem expansion, which is a card game um, set in the D&D universe, so obviously made by Wizards of the Coast. Um, the original game came with four uh, decks, so it's like a small, it's not a deck builder. You just literally have these mm-hmm. little 20, I think 28 card decks, um, which is just essentially yeah, a bunch of moves uh, that you're, you know, there were like a monk, a sorcerer, uh, a warrior, can't remember what the fourth original class was, but then they released an expansion of just two two packs, which had um, Minsk and Boo. Um, oh, so nice. they kind of yeah. started to bring some you know, classic tie-ins. And I can't remember the – there was like a Druid character that's from one of the other games that they have had out and about. But this new expansion is called Monster Madness, and this looks – just so fun so it's basically six new decks that are all based on monsters instead of classes um and the names are just spectacular we've got uh red dragon lord cinderpuff (laughs) (laughs) um an owl bear named hoots magoots oh that's so good oh my god Uh, a mimic named mimi le chase a mind flayer named dr tentaculus and oh, fantastic. a beholder named Delilah Deathray. These are fantastic. <laughs> and a gelatinous cube named Blorp. <laughs> <laughs> Which, look, that is probably the most gelatinous cube name I've ever heard. <laughs> so, yeah, just because it, it was already just kind of silly and fun and it is totally the kind of game where you're just deciding let's just gang up on that person right now. And, uh, you, know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just you've got 10 health points, uh, and you're just trying to whittle it away. But then, you know, again, based on your class, you kind of might be able to add shields or you might be able to, you know, do extra damage, all sorts of, you know, odds and ends like that. Um, it just seems like having a bunch of monsters is going to completely upend the style of play. And because it it was originally, you know, four decks, maximum four players, and kind of obvious then what kinds of lineups you'd have, whereas now so many different interaction possibilities with different kinds of decks, you know, people deciding, um, you know, I'm going to play the Mind Flayer. Sorry, I I can't even call it. I'm going to play Dr. Tentaculus because (laughs) who doesn't want to play Dr. Tentaculus? Um, So, and they even have put it in like a clever box so that all the past decks will now all kind of go into this nice new box. Oh, nice. I love that. Just one of those really nice little new packs where you go, okay, they've – Clearly gone. This is doing well enough, and I've also apparently updated the rules so that you can have up to six players now that there's like twelve different decks available. Because I know that's really cool. Again, I watched the kids just play six players, even though it was designed for four. And so, of course, one person could get stomped before it's even gotten to their turn. <laughs> um, so yes, they've gone. Okay, yeah, let's make some new rules to, to balance out playing with a lot more people than it was designed for. Um, but anyway, I kind of mentioned all that. I'm I'm going to actually yeah play it this week so that we can. Um, or at least I can deliver a little bit more of a review of it um, next time around based on feedback from what everybody in the family thinks of it. Um, so, yeah, awesome. I, I think that hits stores in like a couple of weeks. So um, Wizards has sent an early pack over so that I can mess around with that. Um, awesome. Launch. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Seamus, and then you can find all the bite-side things at biteside.com. Um, this week, shortly, I'm going to have on a different show um, an interview with Siobhan Reddy about dreams because oh, that just cool. came out on oh, Friday. Yeah. 
So having a chat with her tomorrow night, that's going to be great to catch up with her right off the back of the whole thing. And, you know, um, yeah. That's blowing up right now. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, it just, it was the kind of game where you go, is this going to be amazing or is this going to flop terribly? Because this just seems so wildly ambitious. Mm, mm. And it seems like it's going in the correct direction, which is really, really awesome. Yeah. Um, And, but, you know, uh, just to uh, out her slightly on a thing, uh, we were meant to talk last night, uh, but she uh, overslept. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> you just launched a game. I think that is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, that's fair. But also realizing it's like, I, I forgot to make a joke about what she was dreaming about when she overslept. Oh. Oh. Save it for the record, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, thank you guys for stopping by and I hope you'll stop by again sometime very soon. And until next time, everybody, I'm going to try, I'm going to get my audio cue just right. So uh, I'm all good. Here we go. And, you know, and cause that was seamless. Hey, did you know? It that was. You, I didn't yeah. even mention I it. Didn't even hear it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you will in a minute. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> this is slick radio content everybody uh, until next time uh, enjoy playing all those games Ray did you hear it I did head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.